America decides. For those of us inside or outside the US, the results of the 2020 presidential election will have far-reaching consequences that include the impact on trade, currencies, stock markets, and perhaps most pressing, how the global economy recovers from the COVID-19 pandemic. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is my co-host, Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. So you are a Bostonian, an American voter, and you are on the verge of a nervous breakdown. (laughs) You saw me in the newsroom this morning and you said, you look lost. And I kind of said, I don't know how to take this expression off of my face, Mustafa. This is just the week we're dealing with. This is this is it. Well, I, I want to circle back to 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 your thinking, but uh, first, why don't we get a, a markets expert view uh, on on how investors, how institutions, how everyone's looking, perhaps um, at what could be happening uh, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, with the uh, the elections. Uh, joining us is John Hardy, head of FX strategy at Saxo Bank. John, thanks for talking with us today. Um, ahead of the this seemingly most uh, unusual and perhaps most difficult to call of, of elections, from the point of view of the markets, uh, economics, you know, what, what what's the overall thinking uh, from your side? Well, I think it's it's really interesting to see how the the trade has developed ahead of the election. There's there's been a lot of back and forth on how much uncertainty there really is in the result. And I think uh, some are pointing to betting markets as as perhaps providing some kind of intelligence. But these were very lousy predictors uh, the last time around, predicting very very low odds for Trump. And this time around, we're seeing a lot of maybe small uh, betters. Uh, looking for a Trump victory, a Trump surprise. So it's not really about that. It's about it's more about how the market is predicting this and what we're seeing in the patterns, uh, for example, in equities and so on, which show that there's a pretty strong underlying bid for a, a strong Biden outcome, a strong Democratic win, sufficiently strong to for the Democrats also to take the Senate, which is absolutely key. And that really is, to me, the key underlying uncertainty here, because you have a very different outcome uh, on a simple Biden win with no a take back of the Senate versus a so-called blue wave in which they take control because taking control of Congress is what is required for any of the Biden platform to see the light of day. We saw under Obama in his eight years, he only had his first two years in which he had some and very, very weak control of the Senate via a couple of independents who were essentially kingmakers in terms of policy. So it really, uh, folks need to to keep in mind that it really is uh, not just Biden versus Trump, but also the outcome in that Senate race. And therefore, what does it look like? There was some sort of relief trade, I felt like, and in, in, at some points in, in uh, maybe early October, where there was uh, such an, a strong lean for Biden that people were seeing some relief that we would maybe avoid this so-called contested election scenario. Uh, the risk that if this is a very close call, that neither side will back down and we could have this dragging out for months and even a constitutional crisis in the, in the worst, uh, you know, in the worst case scenario. Um, and I agree with that fear. If there is a contested election, this is, this could get ugly beyond anything we've ever seen before. Uh, so, but that relief trade has now kind of yielded a bit to a bit more concern because if we do see a blue wave, we have a, uh, a really a flip side of the agenda that brought so much uh, enthusiasm for, for equities and such a strong surge uh, back when Trump was elected and very importantly, got that Republican majority in Congress, uh, both houses, because people knew this was going to be a very strong supply side reform president who was going to cut taxes and deregulate. It's manna from heaven for 
uh, risk appetite, especially in the equity market. So I, I think that's where we stand now. And and all of the sort of back and forth in recent days is uh, almost information wars, if you will. And uh, there's still this just sort of residual uncertainty is uh, about polling quality and, and things that that were so off in some key areas, mind you, only uh, in 2016. So. Yeah, let's see where, I mean, I'm sure you'll want to delve down into maybe more specific areas, but that's my sort of broad broad brush uh, outlook. The, the, the market is thinking it's going to be a blue wave, but there is a lot of uncertainty out there anyway. So let's start with blue wave scenario. Can you walk us through your predicted market reaction to that type of outcome? Yeah, I think uh, on election night, I don't know how quickly we get the result. Uh, the last time around, there was this odd, because it was such a surprise, uh, it became quite clear that Trump was going to win. And there was this odd multiple hour sort of sell-off across markets before the market then uh, started to rally enthusiastically on that supply side angle I discussed. So I think a blue wave, and especially the strength of the blue wave is also, you know, is it a blue wave uh, where it barely get control or is it a blue tsunami? I've, I've called this the scenario blue tsunami when they get, you know, an extremely powerful result. They take back Georgia and Texas. That is a complete game-changing election um, and, and provides a very strong mandate where not, you know, one or two Democratic senators can't block uh, key legislation, et cetera. I would see this as negative for risk appetite broadly. Uh, the, the, the tech market, the, the sort of the growth, uh, the, those, those stocks have been most successful in the previous cycle. Uh, I would suspect, however, to, for there to be a lot of differentiation. So looking at those uh, equities that would uh, perform strongly in um, in what would be anticipated as a strong spending program and stimulus program from the Democrats. So green energy being one of those, uh, there will be an attempt to to uh, maybe sell off. Or, or I think that ironically though, there, that trade has already sort of happened. It's already in the bag to a degree. So I think actually, ironically, specifically for green energy, that could it's just overdone perhaps. Uh, but in general, not good for equities. Uh, all other things being equal not very good at all for the US dollar, uh, which I think would would uh, would sell off. The, the risky part there is, that, however, that if, if, the, if uh, we're seeing very volatile markets over this, uh, during this election, that tends to be dollar positive. So it's sort of sorting out that volatility phase, which could ironically support the dollar. And then once we get beyond uh, and, and volatility calms a bit, I think it's a very negative dollar story because of heavy spending, higher inflation in the US elsewhere, and therefore a debasing uh, of the US dollar. And on that note, uh, long U.S. yields ripping higher is a risk on on that uh, side as well. And that could activate the Fed to enact some sort of yield curve control policy, which uh, even further sort of supercharges the the weak U.S. dollar. So that's that's my expectation sort of out a few months, a couple months beyond the election. I think election night, ensuing few days, things could be a little bit chaotic. Uh, as I've indicated, because sometimes volatility actually ironically feeds a stronger dollar because of uh, its sort of liquidity and safe haven status, et cetera. But that's what I see shaping up. But um, I'm really curious to, to see if I have this right. And I think to some degree, the market is a little bit pre-positioned for the, uh, the Democratic wave, unlike last time, when it was totally unprepared uh, for the, the Trump win. So uh, when, when things when, when you sort of pre-positioned, you can get these weird market reactions that don't really make much sense uh, in the very, very short term if the event is sort of over-anticipated. John, I think you, you've covered all the bases there and, and it's it's really helpful. I wonder though, where does the coronavirus, the pandemic come into all of this thinking? Um, because we still have to deal with that, whoever wins. 
Yeah, it's uh, uh, we're seeing how Europe is having to deal with that, and that is with these these new lockdowns. I think with Trump still in in, in office until I don't actually have the inauguration date on top of my head, but uh, mid mid to sort of mid late January, there will be no uh, lockdowns from from on a federal level for sure. It will be up to local authorities, and it it tends to have been that way anyway. You have extreme sort of crazy quilt of different uh, attitudes towards uh, COVID uh, across the U.S. based on you know. The local authorities' uh, attitude and, and the local population's attitude towards that, um, and yeah, uh, it, it does look like there's the risk of things getting worse before they get better. As as well, the timeline of these these vaccine candidates uh, could be coming into play, uh, you know, into the very end of this year as well, as far as I understand, uh, and how successful those are. What kind of hope these these uh, vaccines give if they're showing good success, even if the rollout will take a full year. Uh, for example, for a vaccine, I think there's the hope that that would provide if they are showing the promised uh, results it could be a tremendous factor, somewhat offsetting, perhaps uh, uh, some of the more negative uh, sentiment things I, I, I suggested could happen in, in the case of a Democratic win. So it, it'll be an interesting, uh, it, it is an interesting factor, just like COVID is a massive factor in, in the UK as it's also, we're winding towards this Brexit uh, end of the Brexit transition period question as well. COVID-19 is a very difficult issue to to wrap your head around in terms of expectations in general. Pennsylvania, to me, seems like the biggest looming question mark headed into the next 36 hours. Can you lay out what sort of scenarios we might see if there is a contested outcome there or any number of scenarios play out? I have a, a general sort of headline view, and that is that it was remarkable to see when you see if you go back and look at the two, 2016 coverage on election night and how the how the result unfolded you see that florida is is excellent in counting their vote i, I suspect this goes back to the 2000 election when it was such a massive embarrassment these uh, antiquated voting machines and these uh, physical uh, you know chads they call them that were sort of hanging or not hanging on the ballot all this nonsense uh and the vote being decided by the spring anyway anyway they, they come out very very quick on election night and they start counting their votes up to three weeks before the election or up to two weeks before the election, processing them even earlier. So they will dump a huge amount of results very quickly, and they will have 90 plus percent of their vote counted very quickly within hours of their polls closing. And I think you'll get a sense. If Florida is overwhelmingly clearly by uh, you know middle of, middle of the night, that it's going very strongly to Biden, I think we can be a little bit safe in projecting that the other close calls will not be an issue and we will get this potential blue wave scenario, which helps to prevent any sort of Trump obstructionism and accusations of voter fraud. But you're right. You're very, very right to focus in on Pennsylvania. From what I understand, it is the perfect storm state for this constitutional crisis risk. If Pennsylvania, the state itself, is the differentiating state between a win or loss in the Electoral College, I, I can't even imagine where this could go. Because every every hot button uh, controversy around the ballots, whether they should be counted and whether they should be counted if they've arrived a day or two late, whether that's against the rules, et cetera, all this is up uh, in Pennsylvania. It is the perfect storm state. So you're right to to pull the Pennsylvania situation out as, as one of the key questions uh, on election night. Again, only assuming this is close. I mean, all, it, even if it's uh, if it's not close at all, even if there's still these issues in Pennsylvania, who cares if it's an overwhelming victory to the Democrats? And that can you know kind of buzz along in the courts for for months if otherwise the election is is quite clear cut. John Hardy from Saxo Bank, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, I think we're all uh, waiting, whether excited or nervous, about what awaits us on the other side. All right. Well, thank you for having me. So, Kelsey. 
I think uh, John Hardy there from Saxabank laid out all the different scenarios. But the worst case scenario is this idea of a contested election. Right, right? constitutional crisis. Is that what worries you? Is that, is that what's keeping you awake day and night? I mean, any type of uncertainty. It's the theme of 2020. Uncertainty breeds anxiety, which breeds, you know, all sorts of just it's it's a you know, we I don't need to talk about me personally and how I'm feeling about this election going into it. But um, I think the sort of scenarios laid out by John regarding this constitutional crisis and sort of what we need to be watching out for. Interestingly, I think lessons were learned from 2016. So we're baking in some things, especially markets related. So we won't see as much volatility as we saw perhaps back in 2016 or even back in 2000 when Al Gore and the dangling chads against George Bush occurred. So hopefully we're going to be running sort of a tighter operation headed into Tuesday. I I think what's interesting is that you have obviously the head-to-head of the tickets. So you have on one side incumbent President Donald Trump, Mike Pence, the vice president, known quantities. On the other side, you have a mix for the Democrats. Um, Joe Biden, former vice president under Obama. Perhaps one of the most known quantities in all of American politics, given he's been around since the early 80s. Exactly. And then maybe lesser known Kamala Harris, vice president on on that ticket. But beyond the personalities, as as we've been alluding to in this conversation, what happens in Congress if the Senate flips from Republican to Democrat, or if it stays the same with the House of Representatives, Democrat, Senate, Republican, regardless of who's president, we have this uncertainty of how and when this immense fiscal stimulus needed because of COVID is going to happen. So Goldman Sachs has said they expect a Biden administration to approve at least $2 trillion in stimulus. That only happens in a blue wave scenario. So there's three scenarios. One, the incumbent wins and we have a second term Trump administration and we continue to grind on within this pandemic, within just Trump world. The new alternative for the next four years under a Biden administration with a blue wave scenario would be stimulus. The non-congressional win for Democrats would mean more uncertainty, more of an Obama-esque administration where you have things just kind of constantly in filibuster. So I, I spoke to a friend of mine who runs a hedge fund in New York. He, he can't, we can't attribute anything to him because, I mean, that's how sensitive this election is. I mean, professionally, he doesn't want to appear partisan in either way, given, given you know, emotions are running high, shall we say. Um, but, you know, we, what we haven't talked about enough, and, and I, I talked to him, was uh, what happens if we have a Trump win? What does that mean for markets? What does that mean for the economy? What does that mean for investor sentiment? Um, it's not it, it's it's not a, a nightmare scenario to for for Trump to have another four more four more years, according to investors. I mean, they they will act appropriately. Um, as in 2016, there was a a big rotation of of money in and out of various stocks, mainly into old economy away from new economy. Um, so yes, the, the, this blue tsunami. This this sort of best case scenario where one party's in charge. Interestingly, even in a democracy, the best case scenario uh, for for the economy is one party pushing everything through. Right? And I'm a millennial, so my craving for change is just the idea of just new, new, new is what I always want to talk about. But yes, steady state is seemingly the line of the day under an, another Trump administration. Well, uh, yeah, and and there there will 
perhaps under a Trump, another term of, of, of Donald Trump, you know, okay, renewable energy won't have the push everyone expects it to as it as will do under Biden. Um, but you 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 know you will you will perhaps see that things will continue as they were in a way. So I, I, I mean, I understand it's not just about markets, it's not just about economics, but you know, this is the Business Extra podcast. We'll leave it to our colleagues on Beyond the Headlines to talk the politics. Right. And, and voters have said that they feel positive about Trump's performance on the economy, despite, you know, being now in a recession and markets doing what they will. He is perceived as a strong player on the world stage and, you know, advocating for America on trade and bringing jobs back home. That is the perception of the American voter that he's strong on, on the economy. Wall Street, do what it will. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, Wall Street's very calm, according to my friend. I mean, there's no panic at the moment. I mean, they're, they're observing, you know, the many scenarios that, that, you know, John Hardy was talking about. There's a lot of money on the sidelines. It'll come in appropriately once there's a result. I mean, as as we were talking about with John, um, you know, my friend also says, you know, the real the real worst case is these tight races, the accusations of fraud, you know, going to the Supreme Court. Markets don't like that. And that's what worries me. OK, we will get into personal because this transcends politics. An issue where we have a constitutional crisis becomes a, a crisis of democracy. And so that's really what we're talking about. Whomever wins or loses an idea of a contested democracy is the thing that's keeping me up at night. I honestly, whomever, whoever wins, fine. But this idea that we could be in a state of gridlock and our democratic process has been undermined, I think is the real risk. And that's the thing that markets are expected to react to. And I think you're right. This is this is the major issue at this election, which is why it's so, um, on many levels, fascinating. Um, but I think in hindsight, we can see that politics tends to be overplayed in advance of a result um, either way uh, when it comes to the economy and markets. And, and that's partly because events are going to play out regardless of who's in charge. Um, you know, I, I labor the point, but the coronavirus will continue to be there. Um, my, my friend in, who runs a hedge fund in New York said that, you know, the markets are projecting six to nine months ahead. They believe that you know, at that point, there will be vaccines. So th there will be somehow a return to normal. So they their pain that they had in February, March is kind of passed. So they're kind of a bit sanguine about it. Um, but a new administration in January is being dealt, according to David Axelrod, Obama's former strategist, the worst hand in a century. And, and he says this saying that he said that in 2008 when Obama took over, that it was the worst hand since FDR. So now we would genuinely have a situation like that. But as we've alluded to again earlier in the conversation, we still have three months to go before that new administration comes in. And so there's a, you know, a, a lot in that vacuum uh, that, that will or, or will, will not happen, including related to the, to the pandemic. So you know, I, I think that, yes, it's important what happens Tuesday, Wednesday, and, and in the days and the weeks ahead. But the truth is, is that, you know, we, we still have to get on with life. We have to get on with running our businesses. We have to get on with investing, yes. um, you know, regardless, regardless of the political outcomes. Right. And the fate of Dr. Anthony Fauci, the fate of antitrust allegations against Google, I think those are sort of the two big things that hang in the balance over the next three months vis-a-vis -vis markets and future of technology and the pandemic, if I can just tie it all together. That, very neatly. I, th I think we'll leave it there, Kelsey. 
Kelsey Warner, the Nationals feature editor, thanks so much. Good to be here. We'll talk again after the result. Yes, we'll all still be here. We all have to remember that. Yeah, as my friend says, um, you know, the, the world may be functioning differently, but it is still functioning. Before we finish, here are some of the other stories at thenationalnews.com. Russia's Spurbank seeks more partnerships with Middle Eastern sovereign investors. Global travel restrictions mean 174 million travel and tourism jobs are at risk. And India's poor air quality is taking a toll on its economy. That's all from us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe or leave a review. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time.